Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of Movie Talk for The Workprint. My name is Jad Cato. I'm one of the writers here on The Workprint. And today I have a very special uh, guest with me, a really good friend of mine named Rob Cook. Hello. And Rob and I are going to be talking today about Martin Scorsese's latest movie, The Irishman, which was recently dropped out on uh, Netflix. So just to give you guys a heads up, this is, I believe, the second official movie podcast that we're doing for the work print so much like tv talk which is hosted by christian angelis um there's going to be a lot of spoilers within this so if you have not seen the irishman and uh don't want it to get spoiled then i highly recommend uh stopping uh right about here because um, we're pretty much going to hop into um, an analysis of the movie and kind of our perspective and what we thought about it um so and there'll definitely be some spoilers within that. We're not going to be doing any specific recaps, just kind of generalizations, but we will be talking about specific scenes and actors and cameos and such. So if you guys are okay with that, then welcome to uh, the movie talk. We did our first uh, movie talk a few weeks back on The Joker. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, then I highly recommend uh, going back into the site and checking that out. That was a really good discussion. And um, because we like movies and we want to stay current, we figured, why not talk about uh, Martin Scorsese's latest uh, flick? So, Rob, why don't you tell me what you thought about The Irishman overall? Did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? What was your thoughts? Overall, I enjoyed it. Cool, cool. Any particular thing that stood out to you from what you enjoyed? or? Uh, I would say that the thing that stands out the most for me is the dialogue in the film. Uh, I, I kept thinking that it was... Uh, almost Tarantino-esque. Not so much in the sense that there's a lot of dialogue where people talk about pop culture. Or dialogue that is the... Uh, that that mostly serves to, to characterize people, per se. But it, there is a lot of dialogue, and a lot of it is... Uh, a lot of that builds the tension, but also... It builds tension, but not just tension in the way you expect of a crime film, oh man, someone's going to die, but also tension between characters. You know, little miscommunication, someone trying to uh, get something across to someone who doesn't want to hear it, uh, one person's pleading, another person's, you know, stubborn. I, I think that this is the strongest movie in terms of dialogue for Scorsese. I think that's the biggest takeaway I have from The Irishman. Excellent. I'm glad you uh, brought that out, uh, brought that up. So it was uh, written by Stephen uh, Zalan, if I pronounced his uh, name correctly or not. And it's based on a book called I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt, a reporter, which we'll get into a little bit later. But um, it is a phenomenal script, I think, overall. Uh, just being able to sit down and listen to it. Um, Steve, Stephen uh, Zalan really does capture, I guess, like the, the nuances of the uh, time period mm -hmm. you know, from which this is taking place, obviously, in the, the late 70s and early 80s and such. Um, so it's it's really cool to see all the actors really have fun with this script. And I think that's another important component uh, to the movie and to the screenplay, which is super awesome, is, is kind of the acting, you know. Um, we see a lot of familiar faces, obviously Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, who I guess we haven't really seen in a long time um, in, in the cinemas, um, as well as other people. And they really do bring kind of their own... Um, take to each character, you know, within that, which is really nice, and and you know they do capture kind of like the midwestern accent amongst the Italians there, uh, pretty well too. 
Um, and I think that uh, De Niro does a really phenomenal job with that. I think that was like one of his better uh, spoken roles, <laughs> if you will, with an acting. Because if you noticed, his character, Frank Sheeran, has a stutter throughout the thing. And, it, you know, um, it happens a lot when he's nervous at certain points within the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, spoiler, when they want him to kill Hoffa, you know what I mean? He starts... Um, kind of stuttering a little bit more. It kind of comes out more. He's not as confident within that, too. So um, the actors, I think, really do give life to this very clever script and how it is written. Excuse me. And uh, kind of bring, like, a unique twist to each of these characters within that. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, De Niro's performance... Yeah, I, I would say that... Frank Sheeran, the, the the character he's playing is it is interesting in that. Yeah, I, I can see it. I think he's a bit more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. The stutter helps. Uh, I don't know if that's a yeah. I don't know if that's a general thing that uh, writers do to make characters feel more vulnerable. I recently saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Leonardo DiCaprio, and uh, I don't know if that's his choice or a script choice by Tarantino but he's also the character that stutters and he's also kind of a more of a vulnerable character so mm. I, I don't know if that's like a thing that modern filmmakers do to you know, make people seem more vulnerable um, Pesci's performance is interesting because he plays a, a bit, bit more of a muted character than what we're familiar with I mean I, I know it's been a while since we've seen Pesci in films but you know we still think of Pesci from Goodfellas the guy that's going to fly off the handle uh the, you know the guy that's going to have this uh it's that's not gonna be able to control himself but you don't really get that from this movie it's very muted very understated um once again i i think that going back to the dialogue i, I that's one thing i really do enjoy about the movie is because when you have a character like that who's kind of soft-spoken who is a little bit more uh obtuse in how he interacts with other characters not someone who's going to outright say he's angry or outright saying this is going to have fatal consequences but someone who's a little bit more reserved it does add like a an interesting le- uh, level of tension when dealing with his character uh because he's someone who's dangerous but it's not obvious uh, someone who's not obviously dangerous but we understand we understand inherently that there's a lot of there's always a lot of uh, tension with this character when frank interacts with them when other characters interact with him when he you know says he doesn't like something he's concerned we understand what he means and that's that's something that's different for Pesci. Yeah. So Pesci plays um, Russell Buffalino, who's the head of the crime syndicate in Pennsylvania, tied in with the Italian mob in New York and stuff like that. And I, I think he really stole the performance away. It was really him, uh, De Niro, and Pacino. Those three, I think, were really top-notch, especially Pacino within that. Uh, but before getting into Pacino um, and his role as, as Jimmy Hoffa... Um, Pesci does really bring kind of like a fatherly type of presence to Robert De Niro's character within mm. that. And I think he does a really great job in, in kind of depicting, uh, you know, the Italian background and this connection that they had, I think, to the region of Catania yeah. uh, in Italy, you know, the Buffalino family and stuff like that. And, um, you know, a lot of the acting really, you know, comes into the subtlety of those movements and how they talk and, and all that. And it just reminded me of a lot of people here in New Jersey, too, 
just kind of seeing the way um, they would interact with each other, especially Petchy. Um, but what do you think about Al Pacino's performance as Jimmy Hoffa? Uh, you know, I thought it was fantastic personally. Um, you know, I liked it. I, I hate. I, I have to say this. It still feels like we're in Hua. <laughs> Al Pacino. <laughs> you know, and I feel like we shifted from that, but I think he's. I think that. Uh, I don't know. There's still that. They're still there. It's it's you know he's he's played the character. I mean, I it's hard because the only other comparison I have for what Jimmy Hoffa is like is, and I I don't go too much of a tangent is Danny DeVito's movie about Hoffa. Yeah, which I'm exactly I'm pretty same. sure not a lot of people have seen, which is not good at all. He tries really? hard. He tries his best. I liked it. I thought it was very good. I I think it's it, there's good parts of it. I just think that I feel like Danny DeVito's directorial elements of it takes it back actually a bit okay. like it's like oh that's maybe a bit much for like a, a new director to make mm-hmm. a movie about such a big figure but I don't go too far off uh, I don't know much about Jimmy Hoffa besides that film and it's just another person imitating the character um, I like I like his performance it, as I said it's hard to judge a Pacino performance when he is still like there's still there's scenes where he's berating his uh his his subordinates in the labor party it, there you know there's scenes where he's getting angry and, and kind of gesticulating and i'm thinking all right this is good it's a good performance but i can't help but sort of just lump this in with like say hua you know scent of a woman pacino era of, yeah this is how pacino acts uh-huh. great pacino performance but it's still a familiar performance is what i'm trying to say and it's funny you bring up this familiarity with these actors, right? Because I feel like a lot of, um, you know, actors like Pacino, like De Niro, like Sean Connery, if you will, or Danny DeVito, they kind of end up playing, like, caricatures of themselves. Yeah. A little bit. And I think that it is a bit noticeable within The Irishman, not so much with Joe Pesci, but definitely with De Niro and his facial expressions and... Um, I thought Pacino was a bit more controlled, mm-hmm. you know, as a regard in, in regards to his like previous stuff. So I feel like he's kind of left the hua stage, if you will. I like that, you know, this pre hua and post hua yeah. um, for Pacino. So I felt like it was kind of a shift from that too. But uh, you know, the familiarity of it all is that you're getting a lot of these same actors coming back to play the same type of roles. Mm-hmm. You know, it almost felt like a reunion, if you will. Of these different characters from previous <laughs> Martin Scorsese films, you know, coming back together to form one big mega hit. Uh, Expendables. Yeah, right? Or, or Scorsese or like, Expendables. Or like Marvel, if you will. <laughs> you know, kind of like an Avengers. Yeah. No, nah, just, you know, just playing. Um, but, you know, it is, it is um, story-wise, uh, a very fascinating film. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's based on a book called I Heard You Painted Houses by a reporter named Charles Brandt, who interviewed the real-life Frank Sheeran in the last five years of the gangster's life, and supposedly uh, received confessions from him, saying that he was the one who killed uh, Crazy Joe Gallo, and also, uh, you know, very famously, Jimmy Hoffa, and what also provided, helped provide, like, weapons for the Bay of Pigs invasions to, uh, to an agent, in, uh, CIA agent in South America. Um, so this is something that, you know, may not be true or, or, or whatnot, um, but it is, you know, very fascinating that this publication did come out 
Um, a lot of people derefute it who are like really interested in kind of what happened to Jimmy Hoffa uh, post-mortem and all that. Um, but who knows? There might be some credence to it. Um, I still think it's very fascinating um, kind of hearing that story from the actual Frank Sheeran's life, you know what I mean? And kind of seeing how Martin Scorsese interpreted that and placed it within to film. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Any other thoughts, specifically on the acting, or any performances that stood out to you throughout the film, aside from the big three within it? Once say any performances stand out besides the big three. We got some interesting cameos that appeared through the films. Yeah, we did. Uh, we had Anna Paquin. She as played Frank Sheeran's daughter, Peggy. Right, Peggy. Yeah. Though she's more in the latter half, in the earlier half, there's a younger actress. Unfortunately, I don't know her name. Harvey Keitel is Angela Bruno. Yeah. Which cameo. is really cool. It's a bit more of a cameo, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I mean, we're definitely talking about cameos uh, right now. Bobby Cannavale, <laughs> can you raise her? Oh, yeah. Bobby Cannavale, uh, he's, he's one of those guys I like seeing. Uh-huh. I just, I just like seeing Bobby Cannavale. Because he has enough lines where it's like, oh, it's fun that he's there. What um, are the weirdest... I wouldn't say weird. It might be much. One of the strangest choices is... Uh, do you watch The Wire, Jed? Or have you seen The Wire? I have not. Okay. Yeah, one of the actors that people are familiar with The Wire... Uh, the actor who played Herc in The Wire, he's one of the uh, two kind of knucklehead cops who are like a little corrupt but somewhat sympathetic. He plays... Um, I think his name was uh, Fat Tony... Oh, uh, yeah. Real yeah, life, Salerno. like, uh, yeah, Tony Salerno. Dominic Lambardozzi. Yeah, Dominic Lambardozzi, who's like a much younger, slightly fitter actor. And if you notice, if you look at those scenes again with Fat Tony, and I, I remember thinking this even when watching the movie, like, wow, that actor looks terrible. <laughs> like, I, this is something, he looks really terrible. And then I, I, I read into it, and it looks like, and it turns out Dominic Lambardozzi plays him, and. Yeah, he's a younger guy. He's not in, he's like not super fit, but he like puts on makeup and everything and has his hair done to look like Tony Salerno. I don't know if it's because that's an important person in real life to go, oh, we gotta get at least a somewhat like, you know I don't know, maybe a C list act like someone with with somewhat of a of a of a of a resume to play this actor. Yeah. But then they say, oh, but he doesn't look bad enough to play t- uh, Tony Salerno to put makeup on him. That was a very interesting choice, especially in a movie where, you know, they also utilize, I mean, they obviously use technology to make De Niro look significantly younger, but yeah. then they, they just kind of put on this, like, fat old person makeup on this younger <laughs> actor. And the whole time I'm like, something's off about that guy. Um, I mean, he's in one scene where he's the guy that tries to tell Frank to, you know, hey, try to convince, try to convince Jimmy yeah, yeah. to back off. And I think he's great in that one scene. That scene as a whole is great if we want to talk about that. But I think he's great in that one scene. But it's just strange to guess that guy to do that and then bother put makeup on him to look like this older, fatter mobster. Yeah, I mean, Scorsese definitely has like an eye for for using some really cool characters in the background without yeah. like noticing. I um, mean, some that are very noticeable, too, right? Like, Stephen Van Sant had an appearance as a guy named Jerry Vale. Uh, Jesse Plemons from Breaking Bad played, you know, Chucky, his, his kind of, like, Jimmy Hoffa's adopted son, who also turned on him. 
Um, you know, stand, there was a couple stand-up comedians. I don't know if you've uh, noticed that within the thing. But uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, he's a really funny uh, stand-up comedian. He was Crazy Joe Gallo, oh. you know, who got popped in the restaurant with, you know, his birthday with his daughter and his wife. Um, and you also had, and this is a cool one, there's two cool ones. Um, well, actually three when it comes to cameos that I really enjoyed. Jim Norton as Don Rickles, right? You had Dasha Palenko from Orange is the New Black. Yes. Daya appearing as the nurse. That was fucking awesome. Yeah. And then probably my favorite cameo of the whole thing was Action Bronson as the casket salesman near the end of the flick. Oh. With De Niro, Frank, De Niro, you know, De Niro's, uh, you know, kind of picking out his own casket. And it's just, lo and behold, in all his glory, Action Bronson in his beard. Yeah. Playing that perfect role. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, let's talk about the aesthetic a bit. You you brought up a really cool point about the de-aging technology that was utilized in this movie. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? Did it work for you? It did. At first, I was a little I was a little trepidatious about seeing it. Because the first time you see Smooth uh, Robert De Niro's face, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a little worried here. Because how much time am I going to have to spend with this guy? I don't know about it. His face looks like bigger. His eyes are become a lot lighter. Which I guess, I don't know if that's supposed to make him look more Irish, or I don't think Robert De Niro's eyes were ever lighter when he was younger. So I mean, that was that took me a little bit back. I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on with this. But I would say after a period, I get used to it. It helps the fact that it's not as if everything takes place when he's in his forties. It you know he gets older as the time goes on, and then he gets closer and closer to his actual age. And you can kind of tell that they they use maybe more. You know, uh, conventional methods to make him look younger. You know, put his hair back, color it up a little bit. Like, okay, now that now they're just using conventional makeup. And stuff. Mm-hmm. Probably something for says he's more comfortable with, not the, the face smoothing. Um, Joe Pesci, I didn't notice it as much because he played an older character anyway. So yeah. it kind of it kind of worked out for him. But I, you can still tell that they used some of it for him as well. Uh, so that that really worked for me. That worked for me, and I was a little worried about it. In terms of cinematography. Um, one thing I did notice, and there's only really two scenes. I don't know how much is a commentary on the movie. I thought I he there's a lot of scenes where well there's two scenes where a person a figure goes inside of an interior and then goes outside. And there's two scenes. There's one scene where Frank uh, takes his do- takes his daughter to confront the man the her, I think her employer who like shoved her. Yeah. At the store she works at, and they walk up, and then he goes and confronts him, and then you're thinking, like, oh, you're a little worried, and then you see him in the background doing stuff, and you're back in your mind, you think, oh, it's him in the background, and then you're shocked when he then shoves him through, like, the glass, and like, oh, wow. And I think that works, because it's, 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 it's definitely a great shock factor to see him kind of bring a, to go, to do something that you think would be in the background, brings it out in front. Um, also works well for her character's arc, you know, because, you know, this is, for for the daughters, this is a thing that we realize is part of their lives of knowing who their father is and the types of violence he's capable of. It's not like in the background. This is something everyone knows about. This is yeah. not a. This is not secret. You know, he's not going out, you know, beating a guy in the back of the meat shop. He's doing it in front of everyone. Uh, and then there's another scene where he he does a a um, a uh, was it oneer they call it the one shot. He does another one shot when he's killing Frank Gallo, or sorry, mm-hmm. uh, jo- uh, Joe Gallo. Joe Gallo, sorry, um, where he kind of he cases the the 
the diner that they're at, and then he goes inside and then pulls out his two guns, shoots him, shoots two other guys, and goes out. Uh, another great use of space there. Um, it's notable because the movie doesn't have, like, really... It's I'd say it's not as violent as you'd expect. Or yeah. it's not as many actual violent scenes like that. Um, and those are probably the, the two scenes where you get the most real, like, energy from something violent happening, you know, with this uh, movie in and out. Um, were there any scenes that you thought were particularly well shot or stood out to you? Um, definitely the the scene with Crazy Joe. Yeah. Gallo. Um, <clears throat> the car ride scenes with Jimmy Hoffa mm-hmm. just before they're going to take him out. I mm-hmm. thought it was like really par- powerful, too. They got into that whole discussion with the, the fish. Mm-hmm. in the back I thought that was kind of funny too it like played on the humor because he kind of knew what was happening and how it was going to go um, but overall I thought it was a very beautifully shot film mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of some like specific ste- scenes that stood out um, nothing too crazy I did kind of notice like some shots that he reused from previous movies I'm thinking of that too. you know Especially in the beginning, you know, when he's coming up to to uh, Frank Sheeran, who's sitting on the wheelchair mm-hmm. at the nursing home. Um, but overall, very beautiful, beautiful shots. I like his, you know, kind of uh, widescreen shots of uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not sorry, not, not Chicago, Detroit. Philadelphia. Or Detroit. Detroit. No, right. sorry. <clears throat> I think it was Philadelphia in the beginning of the film. Oh, then, yeah. Uh, you know, moves into Detroit. Uh, but, you know... Again, very, very nice within that. Um, I can speak more towards, I guess, t- towards the story than so much through the lens of cinematography and, mm-hmm. and such like that, too. But yeah, it was very pretty to look at. And I thought aesthetically it was, um, you know, top-notch. The de-aging didn't really bu- bug me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of cool to see them do that. Mm-hmm. You know what it is? It's the voice that throws me off more so. Because the voice doesn't match the age when you see it. You know, as they've de-aged Pacino and Pesci and De Niro and all them. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think probably the main thing is just the, the build. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the one thing that you can't really do. I know when I saw Captain Marvel, and admittedly, obviously, the technology of Captain Marvel is amazing when it makes Sam Jackson look young. I mean, you can't really do anything for the fact that Sam Jackson was also a very slim man and is, like, you know, now looks like an older man. He's paunchy. Mm-hmm. And you kind of notice the same thing with Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro was a very, like, lithe, like, like very slim, kind of, like, uh, you know, he was a, you know, he was a, he was a very, he was a very lean man. So it's kind of yeah. funny to see, like, oh, look at him in his 40s, and it's like, well, I mean, his 40s, he's, I don't think he, like, moved like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can't really do anything for the fact that, uh, you know, obviously he's a bigger man than he was when he yeah. actually was 40. Uh, Joe Pesci's fine, I guess he was, he's still slim, so. Yeah, he played kind of that small, squirrely type of character. Yeah, yeah. I think he actually got slimmer, actually, as he got older. Because it seems when he's old, he was like, wow, he looks really skinny. Oh, like when they're in the prison at mm, the end? Um, yeah, but even before that, when he's playing, like, his real age, when they're in the car ride, mm-hmm. to, uh, well, the, the car ride to go on the trip, which actually is, you know, him sending Frank to go to Detroit. But yeah. even that, when he's, like, I guess at... What I assume, that's probably what Joe Pesci really looks like. Probably his 70s or so. That part, I was like, oh, he's, wow, he's a lot slimmer. Like, you yeah. see him around his neck and everything, so. Yeah. So I guess it wasn't hard for him to look, like, physically the same way, but. As I said, it didn't bother me a lot. It's just, intellectually, I know that 
Robert De Niro physically was not this like kind of stocky dude who in his 40s was very skinny. I love the costume design mm-hmm. of the whole film too. Really capturing kind of like that, you know, 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they show anything in the 60s, probably, like, in the beginning. Not so much, right? When he's with the meatpacking truck. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong there, but I don't think so. Uh, but I thought that was very well done. Like, the glasses. I freaking love the glasses mm-hmm. and the jewelry and all that. Um, what do you think about that ring? The really big ring that he got? It's very ugly. <laughs> and it's the type of thing... <laughs> Honestly, this is it's not a knock, but... Honestly, it sounded almost like something that, um, what's Joe Pesci's character, his first Russell. Name? Russell. It almost seemed like Russell was, like, messing with him. Because it looks so ugly. I mean, I guess it's something I can imagine, like, an Italian-American mafioso makes up mm-hmm. to shine on, like, new recruits. Like, oh, this is... This is real classy Italian jewelry. But I can't imagine any real person from, like, Sicily would ever be caught dead with this huge, like, flat, circular ring. It's really ugly. Um, I mean, symbolism, it works because you see it. Yeah, it's the moment he becomes the made man, right? Where he decides to really stick with the Buffalino family against Hoffa. Yeah, yeah. You know. But no, it seems almost like something, like, like an Italian guy would make up. To shine some non-mafioso yeah, right. guy. Like, oh, here you go. Here's this really... Only three or four people in the world have this ring. And meanwhile, there's like a whole box of them back in like, you know... <laughs> I don't know, back in New York. <laughs> they just they send them out to new recruits. <laughs> yeah, right. They just do that. They have the same elevator pitch. Like, oh, you know, this was all came all the way back from the old country's ring. Yeah, Pesci was like, I got this gift for you. It's for you. And then Daniel was like, it's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty funny, um, you know, facial expression, I guess, that he gave at that moment. Um, do you think the boomer mentality really thrives within the movie? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Do you think Scorsese really captured the boomer mentality kind of within this film? You know, I don't I don't think so. But that's, That is something to think about, because I think with a lot of the movies, it does a thing that a lot of... Scorsese films do in terms of it's a it's a it's weird it's what's, what's strange about it is that it's a film that portrays old age and it's, it's, it's definitely the heart one of the harshest presentations of old age which is something that Scorsese doesn't really do Scorsese makes a lot of movies where people reflect on golden age but they don't really show what life is like as an old person it's more so they just lost... They're not at the top anymore. Yeah. You know, like, when you look at... Casino, you hear a disembodied voice of Arnold Rothstein... No, not Arnold Rothstein. The main character. Also played by Robert De Niro. And he's talking about how old Vegas has gone to shit. Now, there's no more class. There's no more, you know, Rat Packers singing. Now it's just a bunch of resorts, tacky hotels. It doesn't have the same class when the mafia ran it. And you get that. You don't see the man. You just hear him talk about that. Uh, Goodfellas does the same thing. You you get a um, uh, uh, Ray Liotta's character speaks directly to the audience, saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, things are not going to be as great as they used to be. You know, we used to have these girls and drugs and all this stuff." But you don't see these people old. You don't see 
Ray Liotta's character, Henry Hill, as an old man. Yeah. And you don't see what it's like just being an old man. And that's what's interesting about this movie is you do see a bunch of old people. And they're, and it's it's almost more tragic because they're just old. It's not <laughs> easy, even as if we're dealing with... Well, on some level, we are dealing with the consequences of their actions. You know, um, uh, Frank Sheeran is uh, alienated from his daughter... Uh, from all his daughters. From all of his daughters, and that's that's probably one of the key, like, yeah, the, the most tragic things about his story. But you're also just seeing an old man. You know, he can't walk as well. He has to use uh, crutches in order to move around. At one point, we see him fall down. Uh, one of the most powerful scenes, I think, was when the FBI was interviewing him, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Come on, you can tell us what happened to Taffa's body." He's like, "You got no one to protect. They're all dead. They're all gone." Yeah. You know what I mean? He just, you know, uh, resists in the film, right? He doesn't give them the answers or whatever they're looking for. I thought that was very powerful because it's kind of like he was the last one standing within that mm-hmm. that group, you know, and he's still kind of stuck with that. Yeah. And he can't move on from it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's interesting about the film. That's a good, that's a good point you make because it's... <clears throat> I don't think Frank Sheehan is ever a guy... Because he never lives the high life. And that's what's very interesting about compared to his other movies. Is that in lies other characters, because in most of... And I, I guess we can say that there's a, a sort of a template for a lot of, of uh, Scorsese films. Where you do see these really debaucherous, uh, pretty much villains. Like the, the main character is a, a villain. Like a bad person. Mm-hmm. But they have this kind of peer where everything's going well. As I said, Casino, Goodfellas, uh, Wolf of Wall Street... Um, in particular, but I don't think Frank Sheehan ever really, like, comes out on top. I think he's a guy... I mean, one, he can't, because he's, he's this Irish guy can't join the Mafia. But even with Henry Hill in, in Goodfellas, you know, we saw, like, he had a pretty good life. I mean, he wasn't super rich, but he had a lot of drugs, he had lots of women he could sleep with, he can gamble, mm-hmm. he could, like, beat people up with impunity. He had, like, a very... You know, he could... He had this sort of... There was a sort of freedom to who he to who he was and the way he lived his life, and I don't really get that from Frank Sheehan. You know, we're introduced to him already late in his life compared to his other protagonists. He's like what in his forties. He's already served in war, and now he's just yeah. trying to support his his family. I mean, he gets a new wife, but that's not even portrayed as much of anything. They even say, like, his wives get along or something. Yeah, it's kind of strange, but he just has a new wife, and that's it. But we never see Frank Sheehan as a very successful, you know, person. Um, no, he's pretty much like a worker, right? He's yeah, He's like the, the right-hand man to all these different people. And it kind of goes back to uh, the captioning of the movie, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in the beginning of the film, once you're introduced, you kind of get this very familiar, you know, Scorsese narration, right? Breaking the fourth wall, if you will. Um it really comes back to it, it comes back to this one big caption that it shows you, which is the name of the book title. I heard you paint houses, right? And when we're first introduced to Hoffa, he's talking to Sheeran on the phone, and he tells him he's like, "Hey, I, I hear you, you know, you paint houses and stuff," which is code for killing people, the blood splattering on the walls. And he says, "You know, yes, I do. I also do my own carpentry, you know." So. In that establishment, in that moment, it really establishes his character as this guy who's not going to be living, you know, the high life. Like, he'll get the rewards, right? His family will be kept safe. He'll have his testimonial dinner, dinner, if you will. Um, But he'll just never, like, you know, 
he's always going to be the person that does those things. Mm-hmm. The man who's going to get things done. You know what I mean? That was kind of like his set role. And it wasn't until much later at his testimonial when he gets the ring from Russell, you know, that ugly ring or that big golden ring, um, is kind of what solidifies him. You know, maybe that, like, acceptance, you know, within that mob family. But again, he still has to go out and betray his best friend, right? Mm -hmm. Like, down the road, literally. Yeah. So that was pretty fascinating. Would you recommend this movie to to your friends and family yeah I think it's worth the hype it's worth uh, our audience to uh, stop listening to this podcast and put on immediately yes now I would I would clarify that this is not maybe more uh, for lack of a better word coked up uh, Scorsese this isn't Wolf of Wall Street this isn't Goodfellas it doesn't have the same sort of kinetic energy to it you know, as I said, there's a there's almost a Tarantino element to it in that there are scenes that are a little bit more decompressed. I think he lets a lot of the actors fee, be, uh, play off of each other a little bit more. Specifically, you know, the three leads, De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci. So, I'd say this is a good movie if you like that. If you want to see these actors play off each other, which I think is one of the biggest draws in the movie is we have these, these actors, they have a relationship with each other. They can play off of each other. I think that's the biggest draw of the film. If you want a film that has a a bit more energy, or if you're saying, well, I need to have a film that has lots of comedy in it, or maybe has, uh, that, uh, that the more gratuitousness, maybe people might associate with some Scorsese work. I don't think you really get that here, uh, which I like. And uh, I think a lot of other people will like, but as I said, be prepared for it. You know, it's three and a half hours, a lot of people talk in it. Uh, you know, some people get shot, but not as many as you might think will get shot. And I think if you're, if you're willing to sit through that, I think you'll get a uh, definitely one of the best films on Netflix. Hands down, hands down. It's definitely much more of a drama film than an action film. So if you are coming in with the mentality that you want an action flick... Definitely won't be it, but it does get gruesome at those moments. Um, I would say The Departed is probably a lot more violent, but in my opinion, I think this is a much better film than The Departed. Um, there's definitely an emphasis on story, and it is a long watch, um, which is cool. I like seeing when directors will you know, take that leap and be like, well, no, I need the extra hour and a half or whatever to tell the story. And I think it does do it justice that way. And again, it's familiar. You know, there's going to be a lot of familiarity. If you like Scorsese films, you're going to be seeing a lot of similar shots, a lot of familiar faces in terms of acting coming in, a lot of new faces also appearing within his stuff too. Um, But it's definitely worth it. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets an Oscar nod down the road or whenever it could qualify for it. Um, Definitely a top-notch film. And if you do like the mobster um, mafiosa genre of film, um, this is definitely it, you know, in that regard. So, any final thoughts on it uh, before we sign out? <clears throat> nope. <laughs> uh, last last thought. Do is, your own carpentry, I guess. I <laughs> do my own carpentry. Uh, I only thought I would have is uh, uh, we need to. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we need to. 
Hmm. Would you say that it is a uh, a high art film or an amusement park theater type film? Oh, definitely high art. Definitely on the high art? Yeah. Definitely on the high art there. Well, I think it's definitely high mob art, mm-hmm. hands down. So, classic Scorsese, totally worth the watch. Thank you so much for listening to us tonight. My name is Jad Cato. Um, I'm a writer here at The Workprint. You can find my articles on the site. Um, and you can look me up on Google and social media at Jad Cato, J-A-D-K-A-A-D-O. Uh, please let us know what you think about this podcast and about The Irishman um, in the comments below. Uh, you know, please share this podcast and the accompanying article with it. We would love to hear your feedback on this uh, latest Scorsese release uh, that can be watched on Netflix. And a very special thank you to my friend Robert Cook. Rob Cook, where can we find you online? What's your uh, social media handle? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Rob Cook. And that's it. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, definitely keep checking up on the site. We will be coming out with more uh, movie talks in the near future. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to hear from you all. Thanks so much for joining us.